0: From 11FS, this is InsureTech Insider News. Today we'll bring you Lemonade Taps New Revenue Stream with car insurance launch and plans to acquire MetroMark. Insurance for Sneakers is here with SoulSafe, and, wait for it, a model who won Miss Bum Bum 2021 gets her winning asset insured for £1.3 million. All this and more on today's show. Today's show is a new show where we'll be talking about the most interesting happenings in insurance and InsureTech from the past few weeks. Joining me today, as always, are some fantastic guests. Uh, first up, joining me today for his insurance Insider debut is John Bean, client director and insurance lead at Eleven FS. How are you doing today, John?
1: I'm very well, thank you, Nigel, and um, very very excited to be on the show for the first time. Uh, so go go easy on me, please. Welcome to the fun uh, in the most exciting industry in the world,
0: as you know. For our listeners, tell us a little bit more about yourself and your background. How have we got you here to the joys of InsurTech Insider? Well,
1: f- firstly, uh, I'm, I'm delighted to be joining um, fellow passionate uh, in, InsurTechs uh, or insurers. Um, I thought our industry was relatively small, but judging by the listeners and the passion that I'm finding on here, but very excited. Um, yes, yeah, so my history has always been insurance, uh, 15 plus years now. It uh, seems like a lifetime typically working with uh, consultancies and clients delivering insurance solutions uh, very much in the digital space. And then had a nice stint over with the client side with uh, Eshore here in the UK and Insurer. Very, very nice bunch of people doing great things down there. And then now joining the 11FS family as we branch out from, I guess, what is their traditional home, very much fintech, but on the banking side, as we look to move into the insurance space. So excited to, to get that journey on the road. And insurance insider is a big part of that.
0: Fantastic. Well, welcome aboard, and look forward to having you on many more of these going forward. Brilliant. Thank you very much. We're also accompanied by some other amazing guests. And uh, first up, Nikki Daniels, founder and chair Easy Insurance Solutions. How are you doing, Nikki? I'm really good, thanks.
2: It's great to be back. And John, 15 years is not life.
0: <laughs> <laughs> We're also joined by Ben Jennings, chief revenue officer from Broker. How are you doing, Ben? I'm well. Thank you for having me. Appreciate it. And judging by the accent, you're not based in Portsmouth, like Nikki. Whereabouts do we find you? And can you tell us a bit more about a broker?
3: Of, of course. No, I'm uh, I'm in the dreary uh, northern California at the moment, um, trying to enjoy some nice rainy weather. Um, so uh, we we've, we've much needed it. But um, no, I came down broker about two and a half years ago from a long enterprise technology career, about 27 years, specifically focused on enterprise B two B sales. And really wanted to join an organization that was trying to radically transform an industry that uh, pretty dramatically needed it. And so um, enjoying the ride and having a great time as we grow.
0: Fantastic. I have to say you're the first person I've ever heard use the word California and dreary in the same sentence. But let's let's leave that one there for now. And last but by no means least, we have Phil Terrell, CEO and founder of SoulSafe. How are you doing, Phil?
4: Oh, I'm doing great, Nigel. Thanks for having me.
0: And tell me more about where you're calling in from and what SoulSafe we're doing. Now, I've got a sneaky suspicion. I know what this one is because I <laughs> pointed it out. So yeah. I'm delighted that you're here as well. So tell us more.
4: Yeah, for sure. So I'm actually, uh, I don't know if it's dreary, but it, it's it's pretty cold. Uh, I'm here in Minneapolis, Minnesota, gearing up for the winters here. Um, but for SoulSafe, so SoulSafe in its essence is really a, a product that we created to, to disrupt a little bit of what we see in insurance and bring a little bit more of that insurance flavor to the cultural side of things, cultural assets in particular, uh, focused on sneakers, you know, so I, I'm an avid sneaker collector. We can probably spend this entire show talking about just my sneaker collection. Um, but these sneakers have, you know, changed in valuations. There you go. There you go. Uh, have changed in just their, their value, how they're perceived as, you know, alternative assets. And uh, we wanted to create a solution specifically designed for the sneaker community. And, and that's what we've done.
0: And for anyone that knows 11 of us CEO, and I'm sure you all do, then in essence, this is a business created just for David Bre. Pretty much. Uh, Well, thank you all for joining us. I'm delighted that you're here. Let's get on with the show. First up, Lemonade taps new revenue stream with car insurance launch and plans to acquire Metromile. Well, if there was one news story beyond all news stories over the last couple of weeks, I think Daniel and the team probably won the show. Uh, this news, first and foremost, is the US based InsurTech's latest coverage, Lemonade Car, went live in Illinois before being rolled out nationwide in the coming months. The Lemonade app uses telematics to measure how much and how safely people drive to inform its underwriting, as we predicted when it opened the waitlist in April. This lets market players offer more flexible and tailored pricing, driving premium growth. Lemonade also plans to acquire California based paper mile auto insurance startup, Metromile. In an all stock transaction as it continues to expand with the agreement the new york-based insurtech stands to gain a national foothold in the car insurance space on top of its expanding presence in home renters pet and life so for those on on twitter or linkedin it was hard not to see this news break and i think the insurance community explode with either excitement uh, prediction and so much more Um, Nikki, you I, I'm going to start with you because it's auto. Give us, what's your take on all of these?
2: The auto market is a really tough market and volume is king. Without the volume, then it's very, very hard to make decent pricing and the profit necessary. And I think the acquisition is good news for Lemonade personally. It's going to build them faster depending on how they use that data. And there's nothing to make me think that they won't be cleverer with the telematics data. And I think, that, I think it's a good move for them. The
0: one word you've mentioned, though, and I'm, by the way, I'm with you. I think it's positive all round. You've gone from a single state to all states through the acquisition. So it's super exciting. But the one comment you made is volume and scale. Ben, I don't know your perspective on is this coming together a good thing and how we then use that to drive scale at pace. Uh, yeah,
3: no, it's a great question. Uh, I would I would echo the comment. I think it was actually a, a, a strong decision for them to bring the two companies together. I think it. I think what they do with the broader data footprint, I think, is going to be the more exciting thing that we will see down the road. Certainly, I think adding one product set is important, um, but there's an There's a better. There's a bigger game here. I think um, at play that that I think will be um, more impactful to both businesses and both populations. So I think that'll be great. You know, look. I mean, I I think that there's going to be um, it, it, you know lots yet to happen there. I mean, I think this is uh, you know the scale piece. I think is the right call out, um, not only for for this particular line but for future lines. I think it it brings more to the market. I think that the population that's going to be served by it is going to be great. So i mean, I I, have, there, I don't think there's a downside to it really.
0: And I guess like yourselves, they're in the space of disrupting a market from the outside looking in, or from the sidelines and. And sometimes it does feel like David versus Goliath and and um, the opportunity is there against traditional incumbents that haven't needed to change and haven't changed over the years and are looking to do something. And I think we've got, or you've got speed and agility on your side.
3: I do. I mean, I think that's the very nature of the InsurTech space, right? I mean, it's, um, you know, I would classify them in that bucket. Certainly we're in the same. I think, you know, the agility, transparency and ease of purchase is very much um, kind of the, the cornerstone of the InsurTech model in general. And so I think that's certainly going to allow them to do that. Um, and, and you know, across the, all 50, it'll be a g- really, really interesting thing to see happen.
0: No, I'm excited by it. I'm looking forward to seeing how quickly we can ramp up and then how quickly it starts to eat into a very different audience. If I remember looking back at some of their renters' insights a while back, I think it was a large number of their customer base have never had insurance in the past, so are they capturing that net new audience that haven't had it and are going straight in? I make the comparison to my my twelve year old son that's now got a bank card, but not from a traditional bank. So his first ever bank card is from a disruptor, in essence. Um, so he may never know banking as we grew up and knew and knew it um, as as we were going through that sort of age. You, you you mentioned or we we talked on. Um, Speed and agility. John, maybe one for you, given your background as well, but uh, fast and smooth claims handling. Now, Lemonade, for me, has been synonymous with Maya and Jim, the various different chatbots and AI that were used to process claims in in minutes. And again, it, it's had much acclaim across the industry and much challenge. Um, what's your take here about how they'd apply the same sort of technology and approach from renters moving into the world of auto, which obviously is... Much more complicated and has many, many more facets. Whether it be bodily injury
1: or otherwise, as you go forward, no, it's a good question. I think, as as Nicola mentioned, it's it's about how they use the data. I think we know uh, we know Lemonade from having strong AI capability and strong bot capability in terms of processing and handling claims. I think they will reapply that to to the information they get out of Metro Mile and the data that comes out. Um, so I think up front that they will have a strong position. Um, in terms of the end when we talk about InsurTechs having the latest technology and speed. I think pulling together a vertical ecosystem will be one of their strongest plays. Um, we've seen the likes of Tesla looking to do this with their insurance. I think going up and down that vertical will be a strong play um, for Lemonade uh, as they move, look to take this forwards and, and use that data. I think one of the key differences is going to be with the moving into auto is rate
2: competition, because to attract new new to a product that's not been available or hasn't been priced in the same way as it as it was for renters, auto is a more traditional model, different pricing model. And it'll be interesting to see how they compete in that arena.
0: No, I, I, I agree on that. And actually, one of the points that, John, you made as well was about the vertical integration. And you talked about Tesla's as Do example. Do you see that as an imperative for insurers going forward? Are we going to be selling... Or not selling at all, is going to come with the vehicle. I've talked about embedded in invisible insurance for a long time. Is it going to be coming with the vehicle? Therefore distribution is not required at all? Or is it going to be coming as soon as I buy my latest pair of Nike Air Max classic 703? Is it going to be embedded into the the sneakers in the first place? Is that where you see it going? John?
1: Uh, I think a little bit of both. I think you're right. No, I think embedded insurance is is going to become more prominent. Um, as we move elements of the insurance value chain, you know, to be honest, not having it separate and actually embedding it within somebody's lifestyle of what they're doing at that moment in time. So it's going to become a lot more relevant to operating rather than being something separate. And then I go back to the data. I think the flow of data, um, the modern technology, the extendable, the APIs, I just think that transfer of data and ownership of data will be shared far easier meaning we'll get a lot more partnerships to create those verticals. It might not be owned solely by one company, but I think that sharing of data will actually bring lots of players together. We talk about Uber in the past. Uber wasn't a taxi firm. What Uber did is bring together the likes of Google Maps, people who own cars, various payment platforms, and built an ecosystem of players with that real-time data. I think that's where we will see is that the vertical value chains going end-to-end but with a number of different partners and different players seamlessly exchanging data. Interesting, really interesting. And, and then, um, Phil, maybe one for you.
0: There's a there's a whole sentiment around some of the newer products they're going to offer. So Lemonade offers better rates for electric cars, for hybrid cars, as well as for low mileage drivers. And the reason I'm coming to you is actually these are all variations of existing products, but for new segments. So almost similar to to, to what you've done. Do you see this as a, a way in which you can get to the scale comment that we mentioned earlier rather than going head-to-head with traditional and direct competition from before. Is there a big enough market in that?
4: Yeah, I, I do. And I mean, that's kind of where, you know, when the impetus around like sneaker insur- insurance kind of derived is, right, this is a a profile potentially of consumers that have a different relationship with insurance. And so now, you know, we're creating a product that allows the barrier to entry to even comprehend that to something they're passionate about. Make, make more sense, right? And then, you know, if you start thinking of how do I take my passion for sneakers and then tie that back to in a product that I, I almost am required to have, right? Whether that's auto, home, in this case, it would be more likely home renters, you know, then then you reach a demographic and potentially a broader customer base that allows you to scale and, and essentially expand your base, you know, potential customers in a new way uh, than just traditional methods that we've seen in the past.
2: What's so exciting about what Phil's saying is that what we're really talking about here is that, that minute segmentation which recognises a need in someone and our traditional insurance model is not geared around the ever changing asset class you know i mean now i can take a picture of me pixelate it and sell it for a zillion pound as a you know i mean i mean the, these things weren't dreamt of um you know we talk about what jobs will be around half the jobs that kids joining secondary school Uh, This year haven't been invented yet. So when we're looking at insurance, what we're saying is there's a whole section of people here, which Phil has, has really got his thumb on, where they may not have understood they had a need. They may not even have understood the value of their asset. You know, they'll be buying a pair of sneakers. Some of them they'll have owned for years. They'll be bidding for them. You know, it's a whole subculture, if you like. Now, these people come at a need from a, wow, I've just figured out what my sneaker collection is worth. Oh, you mean you can cover me for burglary and theft and fire? You know, it's a – and I think that that's where insuretech can really start to add value is people who have a need. We just need to identify that need. They'll figure out auto and so on. I, I, I mean, I love Phil's business. I think it's awesome.
1: Yeah, no, I, I echo all of that. I think I think it's about finding passion. We we you know we know for example electric car drivers are far more passionate about their vehicles than regular drivers. I mean it might not be true across the way, but we we know that, you know, that there's user groups, community groups, all around electric cars. It's it's built a passion. And I think what this does is actually tie into that passion and you know lemonade do that very very well with their peer-to-peer and some of their their charity givings so they're already tapped into that space i think this just adds to that community spirit with electric vehicles and it touches on what you say phil about being passionate you know if there's passion in electric cars and electric vehicles there's obviously passion in sneakers to your point nicola it's where are the other passions lie and then back to the embedded insurance how do we embed insurance in those journeys that people go on, as opposed to having something separate or an afterthought, or as we all know, the grudge purchase. You yeah,
3: know, I think I think it's it's really interesting. I think Phil's comment is is well placed because um, you know taking taking that passion and and um, really the attainability dovetails really well into just insuretech as a philosophy because your the entire intent is to demystify the process of buying, understanding the vocabulary around it, all of the how it's priced all of the things that are in the space that make it very difficult for the average consumer to actually understand what they're purchasing, the value of it, how it's priced, am I getting a bad deal or am I not? And then translate that need and coverage to a product or a business that they are heavily invested in. And so I think that that transition is going to fold right into the back end of insuretech and how we're, how we're actually advancing the business. So it's a, it's a pretty exciting transition.
0: I'm with you on all this. I think first and foremost, you've missed out a brilliant pun between all of you, which was surely we have the foot on the pedal. So that's a mix between Phil and auto insurance and our passion for driving. Yeah, I know, Nikki. they don't get any better. Um, I think the passion comment really does, it, it, it speaks volumes to me in that, if you look at others in this space, in the auto space, that are passionate about a certain community, I go straight to Haggerty. I've spoken about them a lot. lot. They're brilliant.
2: Let me tell you why Haggerty do it so well, okay? So if, I I, I do classic car rallying, okay? I'm in trouble with Haggerty and I enter a rally and I forget to ring them. It doesn't matter. They've already me- emailed me the endorsement that make sure I'm covered for, for, for rally use on the road. Yeah, they, they are passionate about my sport in the same way that I am and passionate about my car in the same way that I am. And I think that's what people see in Phil's business. I think they recognize a shared passion and an understanding. You know, it's the old story that everybody thought that everybody at Carroll Nash rode motorbikes. Now that was never true but everybody believed it because they didn't ask you what a CB900 was they didn't say is that a suzuki and it's the same i mean i know nothing about sneakers phil you know i'm a i'm a middle aged don't worry <laughs> um, but i can imagine if i phoned you up and said i've got the airtech 400s your guys know what that is you know that you can see that you know what it is you know how much it's worth you know the
0: questions to ask about it that's that shared passion piece Well, Let let me leave you with this thought, and otherwise we'll we'll get given out to by Irina that we're way over time. But I I think the passion is the same about the niches that each of the insurtechs have gone into, whether it's small business, whether it's sneaker, whether it was renters. Not that we're going to answer, but one for folks to think about is now that Lemonade has moved from renters to pet, from pet to life, from life to other, and now to auto, how different are we to the traditional incumbents that are out there that are offering everything to everyone. And at what point do we leave, lose that point of passion or lose that point of differentiation? I'm hoping that we don't because I, th- I love the brand and I love what they've done and I love that they've shaken up the industry. So I wish them nothing but success going forward. So uh, generally hope it all, uh, it all goes to plan. With that, let me move on to our next story. And again, sharing the passion and, and keeping the, excitement going. This is all around insurtech investments across the world soar to a record breaking $10 billion. Capital invested in the insurance technology startups has surpassed the $10 billion mark for the first time in any one year on record. This is according to the new quarterly insurtech briefing from Willis Towers Watson. Uh, the record breaking 10.5 billion was raised during the first three quarters of the year with two months left to go 2021 is just 12 million dollars short of the entire amount invested into insurtech globally in both 18 and 19 combined the total deal count wait for it 421 which is also an annual record and that just fills me with joy and excitement to show that the industry is absolutely buzzing but probably equally Uh, moving from early stage startup to mature organization or or stage two and three. Um, Some of the finer details of this, the latest quarter saw 113 deals uh, yield more than 3.1 billion in investment, a 23% increase over Q3 2020. And deal numbers were up by 9% year on year. The number of mega rounds, so 100 million, reached 11 and accounted for more than half of the total funding, uh, down from nearly 70% in Q2 2021. So I know lots and lots of numbers out there, but net-net, a huge number to surpass uh, where we've been previously. And I think real faith in the fact that the industry needs a shake up. Phil, let me start with you. What's, uh, what's your take or what's your reaction when you see such funding and the, these sorts of volumes as well?
4: Yeah, I mean, for, for me, especially as a founder of an insured tech, like i I'm excited as hell. Right. Like I, I think about, you know, it's I think it's putting a spotlight in a place where there's a lot of obviously a lot of work being done from an innovation standpoint. You know, we talked about passion and culture, um, you know, it just makes you think about the tech and the things that people are building, um, people see value in um, and that there will be a future return. You know, at the end of the day, like people don't make investments just for to, for the money to disappear. Um, but there is a lot of value in what people are doing from an insure tech, you know, perspective. And uh, so for me, like to hear the numbers, you know, I'm not, I'm not surprised by any means. Uh, but I even think there's even more opportunity that's uh, not even in those numbers that we'll have in the coming, you know, months, years too.
0: No, I, I, I I'm with you on that. And um, Ben, maybe one for you. Uh, two of the largest deals were actually cyber-related. So coalition and at bay. A Hot topic for you guys as well, right?
3: Absolutely, um, and and I was I was like I was thrilled that uh, the investments came in because we were able to complete our C round this year um, for you know for for in that hundred million range, and so um, I was quite happy, just like Phil, um, that that became the case. You know, look, I mean, it's it is absolutely one of the hotter topics that are out there. Um, I don't think people quite realize what is happening in the cyberspace and at scale, and not just to the largest companies, down to kind of the small business. Um, and in a really scary set of statistics, what we found through a survey that we conducted was that folks certainly appreciate the severity of the risk, but don't necessarily have, they haven't internalized the fact that it could happen to them. No, that only happens to large businesses. It only happens with folks with deep pockets and a lot of money or a lot of data or whatever it is, and which isn't really the case. This bleeds down into the small mom and pops, there's a lot of fraud that's going on right now. There's a lot of ransomware that's out there. There's a lot of unreported um, incidents that we're not seeing um, in the press. Uh, and so it's it's a very scary thing. I think Coalition rightfully took that round and is putting a good product out there. Obviously, we have our own cyber solutions as well, but um, it is top of mind for every business owner.
0: Yeah, uh, and I think you know, on one hand, as we just bounce out of the Lemonade story, as organizations like Lemonade make Auto and, and other lines easier to engage, and I'm not going to say commoditize, but easier to engage and consume and, and claim. I think that then leaves the gap for others like cyber to be how do we educate people on cyber, what it means, what it doesn't mean? Back to your point about um, am I covered, am I not covered, uh, and how we then understand what we can and can't buy. I, I think there's a massive gap in the market that we don't know if we're going to fill out of the insurance space, the insure tech space, the regulator space. Who's going to educate customers in this going forward?
3: Yeah, I think it's I mean, c- certainly. I, I think uh, the scarier this is one of the scarier things is. I think that it's just that um, the consumer embracing the risk factors. You know, we found that sixty three percent of all SMEs surveyed did not think that they had a likely um, threat against ransomware and other things like that, which is so scary, right? Now, it wasn't quite as severe with technology companies; it was in the like the you know mid fifties. But at the same time, the fact that people have not embraced the fact that this is pervasive um, and there are technologies behind the scenes that aren't picking you individually, they're peppering thousands and thousands of of organizations at random all of the time, just hoping that they land on one. I think people need to embrace the threat and understand that it's going to continue and get more sophisticated as we go forward. And so I think the press has done a good job of bringing it to the forefront, certainly Coalition and others that, that are selling cyber products and solutions are championing that forward um, as far as the messaging. But it is all of our jobs, frankly, to inform our customer base of, of not only the risk, but of the proper way to cover their particular si- situation.
0: Yeah, I, I, I couldn't agree more. Not not to be a negative Nancy for a second, or a negative Nigel even, funding for the 1%. Andrew Johnson, uh, global head of insurtech at Willis V, said the continuing escalation of insurtech funding does not mean that venture and growth capital is available to most or even many insurtechs. And what they mean by this, in essence, is that if you look at the numbers, for example, in the second quarter, more than two-thirds of the total capital raise went into 15 deals, roughly half a percent of the world's insurtechs, shared $3.3 billion, while $1.5 billion was distributed between another 147 uh, organizations. Funding was zero for the remaining 95%. So that actually says while there's plenty of capital out there we still have to be um, a solid business meet the relevant criteria so whilst money is a plenty is it still difficult being an early stage founder Phil maybe
4: one for you yeah no I I as excited like as I mentioned I'm excited about the money that's out there but it's also you know definitely a challenge even for like for me right in the um, early stages of raising capital you know to really paint a picture especially in a market niche like sneakers for example you know, that, that there is a community. Yeah, you can talk about passion, but at the end of the day, you know, and I think Nikki mentioned this, it is still a volume numbers game, right? Like how many sneakers exist? How many people want to actually ensure a collection? You know, so you still have to actually, you know, come to the table with the logic behind, you know, here's how we would actually underwrite and actually, you know, make revenue, all that kind of stuff. and and so there's still this you know opportunity there though i think for early stage companies you know for people to invest in them you know that's where a lot of this innovation probably is sitting right now Um, in addition to what some of these larger players that already have significant investment um, are doing as well so definitely a a challenge and an opportunity at the same time early stage companies are facing you know especially you know that i'm seeing being in that space
2: i think what's interesting is it's that difference between angel investment and round two round three so so It's relatively, I'm going to say it's relatively simple to set up a business. Now, I know that's not true, Phil, Ben, etc. But, you know, you have a great idea, you do some market research, you get a couple of people to support you, maybe that's an underwriter, maybe it's a reinsurer. And it tends to be those traditional routes to capital that you have to start with, because it is after all an insurance product. And then you've got this horrible midpoint money raising process as you set up a business, which is incredibly tough because not only do you have to raise the money, you're trying to run and grow the business whilst you're constantly going through the money raising rounds. And, and we really need to have some insure tech money looking at those mid-range businesses. Yeah, because like you say, 95 percent didn't see a sniff. So that's 95% of companies that may have an idea as great as Lemonade, for all we know, who are in that middle phase, and there's no access to that money.
3: No, I think, I think what's really fascinating, though, is, is if you turn the clock back two years, let's say, when there weren't as many insure techs that were floating around, there was a, reg- a relatively immature investment community as well, relative to how they were even valuing or assessing true business value in an insure tech. And now you've got a very well-educated venture community, PE community, the public markets now have a taste of what it looks like behind the scenes of an insure tech. And so you have a more educated group of folks that are assessing and valuing what true tech is. John mentioned AI and, and really the true meat of the technology that these companies bring to bear. The days of having just surface level technology on top of kind of a traditional insurance company, I think that is behind us. I think now folks are going to have to have a really true value proposition with sustainable growth and technology that has more to it and more value to it than just kind of a surface level front end. I think Phil in in a very niche market has a very competitive advantage because he's focused. Um, and so combining that sort of focus with technology is really, I think, where you're going to see businesses thrive but somebody that just is trying to wrap a very light technology wrapper around a very traditional product or business i think is going to they're going to have a hard time.
0: Yeah, that that that's fair. And actually it reminds me of a, a post i saw from Rob Moffat at Borders and Capital earlier today talking about their largest uh, ever and eighth fund supporting the european uh, tech ecosystem and i think he he quoted something like we've been fortunate enough to work with some of the most successful companies in the last decade including 20 unicorns and two decacorns. But that's just huge in itself, right? I guess in the insurance space, it could be argued there's now 24 insure tech unicorns in existence. Um, and one of those in this group is Marshmallow. So again, a UK auto insurer that's been valued at more than $1.25 uh, Um, John, maybe one for you, having come out of the, the motor space and given what we are talking about with, with Lemonade earlier, what, what's your take on uh, this? I guess the seeing Marshmallow valued at, at this stage and rate indicates there's enough to go after across all the industry, even even mature markets like the UK, I guess.
1: Yeah, I think so. I, I think the valuation of Marshmallow probably took a few people by surprise, but probably excited a lot of those um, early insurtechs and early startups. I think what we're seeing is people... Are, you know, we, we talked about sort of traditional profit pools, traditional risks, traditional ways of working. I think what we're seeing is you know there are a lot of opportunities out there in the marketplace if we can have the right data to actually get the right segmentation or the right personalization or go after the right passions like yours Phil i think with that data there you know there will be exciting profit pools or there will be profit pools where there is a lot to go after you know we've had 20 plus years of not doing sometimes what is in the customer's best interest um, and actually charging a lot. I think now there is an opportunity to do what's right for the customer. But also that means there's a lot of flex or a lot of give in terms of the profits that are available and the margins that are available. If we can segment out and do some good underwriting with some good data to actually find a place for a lot of these startups and whether they become unicorns, they can actually carve a niche out for themselves.
0: I, I think you just described. Lemonade's business model. So with that, let's take a quick break and we'll be back very soon.
3: What if you could reimagine payments for the insurance industry? What if you didn't have to rely on old complex payment services and infrastructure? Instead, what if your payment provider could help create a user experience that actually stands out? And when it comes time to pay out a claim, it can do so instantly to millions of bank accounts across the UK, Europe and North America. Trustly are leading the charge in unlocking the open banking payments revolution we are seeing today. Their open banking platform redefines the speed, simplicity and security of payments for more than half a billion consumers across the globe. Visit Trustly.com to read more about how they help insure tech companies make payments a key part of their digital first approach. How does financial services get better? How does it get faster and how does it get stronger? Come and help us answer those questions live in London on December 1st at the Fintech Insider After Dark, better, faster, stronger. It's the latest live recording of our Fintech Insider podcast. That's right. We're back in front of a live studio audience. Stick around after the show for drinks, exclusive swag and a chance to mingle with your favorite Fintech Insider hosts as well as other Fintech fans. Find out more and get your free ticket now at bit.ly forward slash after Dark, Better, Faster, Stronger. That's bit.ly forward slash After Dark, Better, Faster, Stronger.
0: Welcome back. Let's get on with the show. Next up, a report that owners and founders approach to risk management is not a match for today's modern day threats. This from BusinessWire, a new report from digital business insurance platform Embroker has found small to medium enterprise owners and technology startup founders are falling short in both evaluating risks and showing the right acumen for risk management. For the report, titled Big Risks for Small Businesses, in broker surveyed over 500 SME owners and CEOs and tech startup founders in August 2021. The report found that owners and founders' perception of business risk is not aligned with how they best manage and transfer that risk. Owners and founders acknowledge critical business risks like labor shortages and product malfunctions, yet only 22% say they have read and understood all of their policies. Half are relying on their brokers to sign up for coverage. I guess, the, Ben, let's start with you. As uh, as this is your report and right in your sweet spot, can you tell us more?
3: Yeah, no, I, you know, we obviously, uh, to say that the last 18 months um, have been turbulent would probably be an understatement in small business community, um, you know, between COVID um, and everything that has gone along with that, um, there have been dramatic changes. And I think how the insurance industry has dealt with that has been fascinating. Um, it's certainly something that we'll learn from in years to come. And so, you know, Inbroker took it upon ourselves to survey, again, 500 um, SMEs, both business owners as well as technology founders. Um, and it's a fascinating statement. You know, I think that just generally speaking, I think the comment would be folk, you know, folks in general, one, either don't really understand um, the risk profile or they understand the risk profile, frankly, but are not addressing it properly with how they're managing that risk. Um, and so while they might be focused on the products, they're you know, on particular products, they're not really figuring out how to bridge the gap between what I perceive as my risks and the actual like coverage I need to run my business. And so, you know, as you, as you mentioned, the bulk of the folks that we surveyed you know, 22% had never even read their policies. Um, they're relying on others to actually manage that and manage it one time a year versus over the course of time, right? And that's a scary thing. Businesses change, they're fluid, they're living animals. Um, and so the fact that they're one, not really paying attention at point of sale and also then just allowing things to auto-renew. I mean, that was the, another troubling fact is most folks are just allowing these things just to renew without ever consulting anyone. Um, that's a scary stat, uh, particularly
0: through COVID. Ben, I can I couldn't agree with you more. And actually, one of the quotes from Matt, uh, uh, your CEO and founder, was while many SME owners and startup founders have been experiencing strong growth and financial backing in the past year, which we've just covered, Uh, modern day risks, and again, I think these come up, right? Including cyber and supply chain breakdowns and remote workforce issues. I mean, this is just the pandemic all over it and remote workforce issues can stop progress in its tracks. So this means companies need to constantly evaluate risk and protect their businesses. Now that to me, the the one word in there that I don't think that we do that you've just touched on is constantly evaluate risk. It feels like a fire and forget and we're never gonna go back to it again. Uh, until the next renewal cycle or otherwise. I mean, John, what do we need to do as an industry to get people starting to look at these in very
1: different ways going forward? I think it comes back to having real-time information and having that, we've talked about data a lot, unfortunately, but I mean, you know, it's built on analysing risk and analysing data and information. And I think, obviously, the more information we can have up front, the better choices, the better informed we can get and the better uh, underwriting assessments we can do. But it's then having that continuous real-time feed, um, whether that being, you know, telematics has been a great example of this, but IoT centers in homes, I think it's where can we embed this real these sensors or this um, these IoT devices in everyday life to have that real-time information. And then I think it's about the insurers actually managing that information in a way that is not to the detriment of the customer i think too many times people are scared to share information or share data because we'll rip the customer off or we'll use it in a nefarious way i I think we've got to build trust that the use of data is to help the customer and actually build a product around their their particular circumstance that is completely relevant Um, and i think if we can match those two things together both the real-time use of data uh, sorry the real-time flow of data and then how we actually use that to to the customers' side, we'll, we'll get the win.
0: The um, you bring up a good point actually. Maybe Phil, one for you, if I may. And, and it talks about some of the key findings were that owners and founders were, had misaligned priorities. So when reflecting on the art uh, on the risks and liabilities to the business, people talked about uh, reputational harm, of course, or brand, or product and equipment malfunction, or labour shortage, as we've talked about previously. But when asked about the areas of focus for their overall business. Owners and founders have identified a different set of issues. So, customer retention, growth, generating demand, and much more. As a business owner yourself, and obviously a little bit biased in that you're in insurance, how do you think about this in the first place?
4: Yeah, I mean, it's, it's interesting because, like, I think about like my consumer profile, right? And, you know, we're inheriting potentially two things. One, we have to educate a consumer base about what they are actually insuring. I think Nikki mentioned that before. like, you know, some of these folks, this might be the first time someone actually is talking to them in their language about insuring sneakers, which is it's one whole thing. And then the other side of that is like what risk are associated to sneakers, right? And so if, even as a company and an owner, you know, I have to put myself in both scenarios. Like I'm the customer. I am actually a real customer. Um, right. And so I think about what perils and things are more likely to happen for a sneaker, whether it's in my house or, you know, on my feet out in the world. And then what does that mean in terms of how the business really thinks about underwriting and thinking through the risk associated all up? Um Because at, at the same time, right, if we have a claims ratio of 100 percent, right, we have a problem. Right. You know, and and sneakers are, de- you know, just everybody has on shoes right now, let's just say like, you know, so just our equation for this is maybe a little bit different. And so um if we don't get it right, I agree, like with with the data points there around what founders are thinking about, whether it is our brand, you know, hey, you guys don't want assess our risk the right way. So you don't know what you're doing. How could you be from our culture, have the same passion, but don't understand the risk we have. Uh, but at the same time, also thinking, thinking through things as an insurance company, though, right? Like, we still have to protect the company, ensure that we are able to, you know, continue to write policies and do it in a transparent way, which is You know, something that I've built into the culture of the company. You know, like I don't want to I want to be able to communicate and talk about insurance, the risk associated to collecting sneakers the same way I would if I was sitting in a sneaker store.
0: Isn't part of this down to we don't know what we don't know? And even listening to you now, we're lucky we're lucky on this call that we all know insurance and we're passionate about it and, and, and all the things that go with it. But we don't know the average Joe on the street may not know the word peril in the same way that you've just described. And you you used it naturally and in flow of conversation. So do we get lost in our own language? And I guess it goes back to one of the other pieces in the report that talked about cyber. 63% of uh, SME owners believe they are unlikely to face a data breach or ransomware attack. Yet tech founders, as you'd expect, are more aware of cyber risk than other business owners out there. So... Nikki, maybe one for you. I don't know if this goes back to the conversation we had earlier around passion. If people are aware and passionate about it, we then can at least start to address those needs in the first instance. Whether it's a cyber issue, because you're a, a tech founder or a tech startup, or, uh, or, or or otherwise, what's your take? I mean,
2: I I agree there are two key points for me there. The first is that, yes, as a a business founder, we have to consider our reputation, you know, is our product still appropriate for market and so on and so forth. We have to put that in a language that our consumers understand, and that's quite frequently where insurance falls down. You and I, Nigel, have been on Twitter on a number of occasions suggesting that page 27 of the policy wording may not be the place we need to find the critical piece of information. And when it comes to cyber, the reason – And my personal belief, the reason why normal SMEs don't consider themselves a cyber risk is because they don't think their data has value. Yeah. And and that's not the reason why cyber people go hack you. They go hack you because they want 10 Bitcoin or a million Bitcoin or 500 million Bitcoin. And so my vet is as likely to be cyber attacked with ransomware as Virgin Atlantic or Delta is. Um, but they don't perceive it as a risk to their business. And I think, and I think it is down to professionals to try and persuade some insurance professionals to explain to their smes and their consumers why that's a risk in the same way as phil would say you know keeping your sneakers in the loft in minnesota is not good for your sneakers (laughs) um or i'm guessing again phil but you nodded so i'm okay and and i do think that is that is a failure on all our part because we know what we know and we don't share what we know particularly we don't share it in our consumers language
1: and Nicola, do you think this is, you know, we, we often talk about trying to be proactive rather than reactive and, you know, addressing just the claim payments. So do you think there's a lot more the insurers can do up front to help and do more, do more in the risk assessment space, do more in the education space and do more? And old
2: fashioned brokers would. So if we wind the clock back to when I were a nipper in insurance, we would go out and visit our clients on site we would see their offices, we would meet their people, we would see their product, we'd we'd visually see the space in which they operated, so we could draw a conclusion about risk. Now, there is some talk about using drones to do some of those site surveys, but it's become a box-ticking exercise
0: and not really about protecting that business, yeah? But it goes back to that even when you went on site, to even to what we're doing today, the fact that the matter of the report still comes out and says 22% have even fully read their policies. And I'm not sure in all the years I've been doing this, um, whether it's standing on stage or talking to clients directly, if they're not even gonna read what's in the wording, that's causing a big issue at the outset. It's caused all the cases for the BI and COVID, as COVID hit, whether it was covered or non covered or what the clauses were, what what the exemptions and otherwise were. And that causes an issue. And the underlying issue, there is never mind reading it noise. I don't care about it. So we've got to find back to the points about passion that we've all made. What are people's passions points that mean we are and, and to realign those objectives of founder and, and outcome? If we don't get those things lined up, then then if no one reads, it doesn't really make a difference because they're not they're not aligned in the first place. So a fascinating study. Uh, and thanks, Ben, to you and the broker team for for, for putting that together. Um, next up we have the general awards $25,000 NAACP Power Shift Entrepreneur Grant to Soul Safe Insurance for Sneakers. Now, I know exactly who we're going to in this one, but this is from the Star uh, Tribune. Soul Safe, a company dedicated to providing quality insurance for shoes, has received a grant of $25,000 as part of an initiative from the general insurance as part of the second annual Black Entrepreneurs Day on October the 14th. Rising black entrepreneur, Phil Terrell, CEO and founder of Minnesota-based company, SoulSafe, will also receive professional one-on-one mentoring sessions with Shaquille O'Neal. I mean, how cool is that, first and foremost? I can see Phil smiling from here to here here. Uh, And this year, Azali, Enterprise Chief Marketing Officer at American Family Insurance, parent company of the General. In addition to the monetary grant, Terrell plans to officially launch SoulSafe in early 2022, when he also plans to raise capital for private investors. Phil, I think on this one, take it away. Tell us more about this. Tell us more about the grant. Tell us more about the uh, how you got to this situation.
4: Yeah, it's, 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 it's funny because I was actually at a tennis tournament with my wife and somebody was like, hey, you should apply for this, you know, submit SoulSafe for this grant and this opportunity to connect with, you know, Shag, Damon, John, Alicia. And I was like, okay, cool. You know, I, you know, I just did like what any other founder does. We, you know, we hustle. We just get figured out, get it done. And, you know, I submitted, I got an email, you know, out the blue a few weeks later and I was like, you know, they're like, hey, you're a finalist. Long story short, you know, they do the live taping and that's when I meet Damon John and he's like, hey, you know, you you've been selected to get the grant, you know, go through the, the actual Entrepreneurs Day, you know, that's live at the Apollo Theater in New York, which you should check out while you're in New York. And you know, they basically are running through this show, right? And I'm like, okay, this is great. And then I actually didn't know about the Shaquille oneal Alicia part with American Family until after the fact, when G- the General put out their press release. Um, you know, I knew about the Damon John mentoring, but I didn't know about the other two. Uh, so I was just excited almost as people reading it for the first time as well. I was like, oh, this is good news. Um, you know, and so that, that's kind of how it started. And for safe, you know, around the, the funding, you know, I had just quit my job at Microsoft too, right? maybe the next day, actually, it, it came out on October 14th. My last day at Microsoft was October 15th, right? And so for a founder who takes a leap and all that kind of stuff, uh, you know, it's getting getting non-dilutive funding is actually fantastic, as you all know. Um, and so I'm actually in the process of raising, you know, around right now too. So um, it's also good to have some capital that People aren't taking equity from, but.
0: I'm delighted for you. And actually the, the the point of fate to your point about, you know, leaving your job and, and getting a, a small cushion to, to ease the way, it almost proves to you are doing the right thing. It almost feels like fate. If you think we're mad folks, um, the primary sneaker market is worth in and around $24 billion today with an ever expanding resale market growing rapidly year over year. And if I look at my household alone, it does feel like over the last twenty-four months, we are our disposable income is going more on things like this. Unfortunately, we wear them all and destroy them all, whether it's cutting cut the grass or whatever it might be. But the, the collectible nature of these, first and foremost, is just gargantuan. You just need to speak to David for this, and maybe we'll uh, we'll get a segue for for, for um, from him later on. But out, out of interest, has anyone else tried a similar? Um, service in the past or something something like
1: this, John Ben, anything from you? I've not tried a similar service, but I must admit I was blown away by how much the uh, the trainer industry is worth. You, you only have to look at Kanye West and how he how much he's made out of uh, his Easy Line. It, it's incredible. Um, so yeah. Fair play, Phil. I'm, I'm surprised no one else spotted this earlier, but you've you've done a phenomenal job.
3: I'm jealous about how sexy your your segment of the industry is to talk about. Um, so <laughs> yes, I, 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 Very very, very seldom <laughs> do I run into Shaq in what I do, um, but I think that's excellent. No, congratulations across the board. Um, I think the only thing I would I mean, the other niche that I've ever used is uh, is track insurance specifically. I'm a very big car guy um and they do offer very specific track day insurance if you blow up your uh, your race car and so um that is the only specialty but it is equally as important let me tell
2: you but what's interesting is that there could be loads there could be loads of these opportunities out there for sure and it just takes somebody with the passion and the the you know the knowledge like Phil to say that's a niche I can go for and I know how big the market is and I know I can make
0: money for my insurers and away we go and when you say, Ben, when you say talking about running into or Neil, you do realize he's like seven watts. So you definitely feel it quite quickly if you do I, run into him. I am, him.
3: but see, I have the advantage. I'm six seven. And so I'm not quite as off. Um, <laughs> but uh, I'm still looking, he's still looking down on me. And I think he's got at least 100 pounds on me. So
0: I'm on my speeches. I'm actually meeting colleagues for the first time in New York myself. And I think the biggest shock for me is working out who's smaller and who's taller than I expected on Zoom because we're all standing here and we're all uh, the same height on, on Meet and Zoom and everything else. So that's quite exciting. Phil, so let's come back to you very quickly. Tell us how you developed SoulSafe in the first instance as well then. So what is it? Is it a desktop-based uh, solution? Is it an app? How does it work?
4: Yeah, so it's a, a mobile app on iOS and Android. And you know, at a very high level, it allows somebody to go in, search whatever sneaker or sneakers they're looking to, you know, let's say, ensure Um, and we'll basically walk them through a couple screens, which are, you know, two, two main, two main points. One around taking photos for authentication, which in the sneaker world, like that's very critical. And as a company, it's also a way for us to minimize risk of ensuring, you know, fake shoes, which is a whole other beast within the sneaker world that's extremely valuable and just replica shoes that we won't get into here. Um, but that's very important, you know, as a layer for sneaker consumers to have the trust that we're doing that part, even if they've already done it at the point of purchase um and then the other the other component is actually the coverages component where people are able to you know self select what coverages they really would want to have associated for every sneaker and then you know real time we're actually calculating um you know what that potential premium you know and deductible scenario would be for that customer based on the value of said collection at the point of, of checkout and so it's a very familiar experience in terms of searching a product adding it to a cart you know then being able to repeat that process uh, in a matter of minutes to then be able to Actually bind, you know, that particular set of shoes to an insurance product, uh, or insurance paper. Let's just say, uh, for for anyone listening, and then you're able to then, you know, go on about your day. And then in the app, basically, what we're doing is also inventorying over time in a digital way um, for people to actually see what shoes they have, see the valuation of them real time against what they actually insured them at. Uh, which is very interesting given like the commodities nature or securities nature of sneakers and so we're able to like use the data back to the points that we've talked about you know for us data is going to be be extremely valuable in that it's real time uh, for people and that they don't have to do anything like they don't have to tell us hey my shoe changed in value or this and that like we'll already know that Um, and then we'll also be proactively creating conversation like hey your shoe uh, if like another michael jordan documentary comes out tomorrow be able to say, well, everybody's, you know, Air Jordan, maybe all of them, let's say Air Jordan one has gone up 35%. So we'll be able to dynamically, you know, reach out to people proactively and say, hey, do you want to adjust your coverage based on, you know, these, you know, maybe an outlier change in the market, but still it's a change that might impact you at the point of something actually happening to your sneakers to make sure you're covered. And it's also simultaneously a way for us to to be transparent and have open dialogue with, with our consumer base.
0: That's really interesting. And I'm assuming that when you adjust the price up for an increase in value, would you also
4: do it in, in reverse of the decrease in value? Would you then? We do it both ways, you know, and it's up up and down, um, whether it's increased or decreased in value. Um, and, you know, it's also a play on like, hey, if you are being transparent in the process, then I'll turn around and take, you know, that, let's just say it does go down. Well, I'll maybe go and ensure the next you I get, because you already told me, hey, I'm already putting some money back in your wallet. Well, you know, the you are transparent and honest about where I'm at. and So I'm not overpaying potentially for something that's changed in value and so.
2: Now, now, what I love about that data is the fact that effectively you become the repository for all of the known sneaker connections, yeah? Um, ultimately, who knows worldwide? Because if you think about how things like in the UK Glasses Guide or Parker's Guide, which are car valuation guides, um, and you have the same for some jewellery valuation, effectively, that data becomes available for you to sell gift Um cross world because i'm guessing some of these people have sneaker collections in singapore and in new york and in minnesota and in europe i mean you know they they may not travel with a hundred sneakers in their case when they travel but they're going to have a dozen sneakers at each location
4: yeah very much so and and, and that's you know it's interesting because like we 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 know like over time like we'll amass you know extra an extremely rich data set in general uh, we'll know um, back to we'll be able to feed the you know the intelligent models that we're building and, and have built around like what shoes are actually claiming you know what shoes are driving value and you know, we can turn around and create our own marketplace you know internally to the platform uh, so there, there's a lot of you know other things that you know can segue there's a whole conversation and you know work that we're exploring around like the actual digital product space which you know that that's a whole other dovetail into I don't want to go into the metaverse but you know it's <laughs> you know, there's just this reality of, you know, physical products being married to digital products. Um, you know, what does that mean from a, a risk, you know, management perspective as well? And so, yeah, even even the scenario around what we're going to introduce with what's called, a, we call it the sole ID, which is our our equivalent of the VIN number, you know, with a car. And it's our way to introduce our consumer base to the blockchain, you know, so that every sneaker will have a unique identifier, just like every car has a VIN number, um, to be able to then move them you know to from a physical asset uh to a you know to a digital one as well so
0: i absolutely love it i wish you every success with it i can see some really natural adjacencies across other things that we value and continuously change in price like watches and other stuff like that but uh seeing people's passion around sneakers right now is is i don't want to say insane but it truly is this you know i i was like john i was overwhelmed with the size of the actual market i, I can't believe it but I should probably know better knowing how much uh, trainers and stuff and sneakers my kids go through. So, um, okay, we're getting towards the end of the show. Just to round up some of the other stories from the week we didn't have time to cover but still deserve a shout-out. John, would you like
1: to start? Yeah, sure. I've got one story from uh, Notable, which makes RPA-based tools to speed up healthcare admin. Um, And they raised uh, $100 million, a $600 million um, valuation, So for those who don't know, Notable are a startup which is building automation systems to help speed up lengthy healthcare admin um, and announced a growth round of 100 million, as I said. Um, And this includes uh, networks like Intermountain Healthcare, Common Spirit, Health. That's cut through the immense amount of what uh, their co-founder and CEO described as administrative overhead. Um, For those who don't know, the healthcare industry on average has 1.1 trillion uh, in administrative spend, which is eight times as many resources required per billion of revenue as any other industry in the world. I think that's quite a, an unbelievable stat. So I guess my thoughts on this uh, quick overview is, I mean, we, we often talk about, um, you know, is insurance digital? Um, and I think Phil, the way you've described the use of blockchain, what you're doing, I think you're definitely moving in the, the digital direction. Um, we're a long way from that. Uh, I think things like this are great. It moves us from, you know, analog and business processes towards digitized, which is kind of converting some of those old processes and removing some of that admin headache. And I, I think that's a fantastic deal and fantastic valuation. Um, where I'd love to see them go next or where I'd love to see these organizations go next is how do we move from digitized to digital and bring in some, you know, relook look at those processes and relook look at that end-to-end value chain. And you know, rather than just creating new channels or speeds, how can we actually reimagine or reinvent some of these admins to bring that number down? Because eight times as many as any other uh, industry seems uh, excessive. Very good. Thanks,
0: John, for that. My one is Amazon-backed InsurTech Aco joins the
1: Unicorn Club with
0: $255 million of funding, this is from TechCrunch, uh, covering a couple of points we've actually talked about earlier. So Insurance policy provider ACO is the latest Indian startup to become a unicorn, joining the three dozen other firms in the world's second largest internal market that have attained the coveted status this year. The Bangalore headquartered startup has raised $255 million in a new financing round, bringing its all-time raise to $450 million. The new financing round, which is subject to approval from the country's insurance regulator, was led by General Atlantic and Multiples Private Equity. ACCO has attempted to take on the country's antiquated insurance industry with a digital-first product. It develops and sells bite-sized auto-insurance products aimed at drivers and others in transportation-related services, healthcare protections to employee employers, as well as protection on gadgets. I mean, it couldn't be a more perfect wrap-up of the entire show with unicorns, uh, multi-product line, untapped market, uh, and so much more. I think this is great. I think the Indian market is is just like a rocket ship right now. It's taking off uh, with so much to go after in a market that will probably uh, take a leapfrog moment to the Western world and, and not fall into the traps of the digitization that we went through and go straight to digital first in these sorts of instances. So I, I think that's absolutely great. Congrats, folks. Leaving one story to finish off with, and I'm not sure how we've got this on the list, but here goes. I will try and keep a straight face. Model who won Miss Bum-Bum 2021 gets her buttocks insured for £1.3 million. This from TechCrunch. And folks, you're lucky you can't see Nikki laughing her backside off right now. Uh, Nathie Chiari, a 35-year-old model, recently won the title for Miss Bum-Bum, an annual beauty pageant that is organised to facilitate the best buttocks in Brazil. Chiara, after winning the title, did what she felt was only fair. She got insurance for her bottom. Uh, Chiara, who is also a mother of two, and in an interview said, I'm honored to be able to represent and encourage many mums who suffer from self-esteem issues around the world. Talking about a buttocks insurance, she said, I train in a lot in order to maintain my body and my buttocks and are free from implants. I'm famous because of it. It is the biggest in Brazil. Therefore, it's only fair to insure it. Nikki, as you were laughing away at me, making an absolute backside of myself, where would to start on this? There is a long tradition
2: in Lloyds of London of insuring bits of people. So I, I'm not sure whether they've ever done a bum bum before or even an award binning bum bum. Um, but it is true that people have insured their teeth and their legs and their arms and their for all sorts of weird and wonderful reasons. And I like the fact that
0: we can insure anything as long as there's an insurable risk. That's where we are. All right, let's go, around, let's go around the table for A, your view, and B, what bit of your body you'd like to insure. So, Nikki, we know your view. What are you going to insure? I'm going to insure my right foot. There you go. Ben, what's your take?
3: Uh, I would like to insure my knees because they're destroyed, and I would have plenty of cash at this point.
0: That'd be lovely. Nice. I'm with you on that. And and, and what do we think of Miss Bum Bum?
3: Uh, I'm supportive of insuring anything you can. Uh, absolutely.
0: <laughs> 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 I won't comment on the Bum Bum <laughs> specifically, but i hear you phil what's your take what are you what's your take and what are you going to ensure i'm going to ensure my bum bum too so <laughs> <laughs>
4: i don't know my hands i don't know all right
0: john let's let's let, let's let's let's
1: let you close out what do you think of the story and what are you going to ensure i think it's a great story um i'd be interested to know what the biggest peril might be <laughs> But that's probably a whole different conversation. Uh, what would I, sh- I I'd insure my hands. Without those, I- I'd be lost. I I,
0: it's, a, it's a bit of fun. But as Nikki pointed out, for years, Lloyd's has been insuring bits of bodies from David Beckham's legs to Betty Garble back in the 40s when she insured her legs for a million dollars. Um, everything is insurable in my mind. And what I will insure for all those that see me, uh, my hairline, because it's receding rapidly. So let's see what we can insure. Uh, in, that, uh, in that space. That wraps up the show for this time. Where can our listeners find out more about you? So LinkedIn, Twitter, Snapchat, you name it. Nikki, where can we find you? LinkedIn,
2: Nikki Daniels, um, occasionally on Twitter, having some fun. Ben, what about you?
3: LinkedIn is best. Ben Jennings at Inbroker.
2: Phil?
4: Uh, the same. So LinkedIn, Instagram. Uh, if you type in Phil Terrell, you'll find that. And then if you want to follow SoulSafe on all the platforms, it's SoulSafe Co at Safe Co. And John? Uh, yeah, likewise, LinkedIn, uh,
1: soon to be updated with my, my new role at 11FS. So uh, excited to start on that new adventure.
0: And you can find me on Twitter at Nigel Walsh, just to be a little bit different from the LinkedIn crew that we have here. Thank you to all my guests. John, congratulations on the new role again and look forward to seeing you back here very, very soon thank you for listening everyone if you like what you've heard today uh, hopefully we've cut out all the bloopers because there was many today uh, subscribe to our podcast and don't forget to leave us a review it helps us to make it better and help others find the show as always if you want to join the conversation find us on social media just search for 11 colon fs or insure insider find us on twitter at insect insiders or email podcasts at 11 fs thanks very much goodbye